everybody. This is Charlie. This is the podcast to hell and back. This is April 11th, 2019. This is six o'clock in the evening. Uh, it's the first time I've done it on a Thursday at six. Uh, the title for today is getting old sucks. Acceptance helps. But let me say something about the future and about next week um, for those listening who or those will listen. Um, starting next Thursday, 6 o'clock Eastern Time, I'm going to be doing a, uh, the first of what will be an occasional, I'll figure out the frequency later, an occasional um, Zoom session, meaning a session in which you can see me on your computer and you, and you can uh, ask questions or comment uh, on the computer, and I can respond to you. And uh, in order to do that, you will need a Zoom link. And I will be sending that link out through the places that I usually advertise uh, the podcasts. I also will have it on my website soon, and also it will be on the website of NEABPD. Their website is www.borderlinepersonalitydisorder.org. So uh, tune in next week, but also send me questions um, to respond to. Since this will be the first one next week, I already have questions that people have sent before that I may not have gotten back to, so I can do that. But also, anybody who wants to send something, please do. And spread the word around that this will be happening. Um, Okay. I can hear some noise. Is there? I wonder if there's. Okay. Just ask if you are listening to just try to be quiet because I may be managing this myself. <clears throat> um, all right. So, you know, why did I choose this topic? Why did I choose this version of hell or what can be hell? Uh, to talk about today. And I was thinking about that after having decided, which is often the way it works. And uh, of course, one thing is uh, only indirectly related is that on uh, this coming Monday is the day that taxes are due. And there's that famous saying that there's only two things you can count on in life, death and taxes. And so taxes are coming up. Um, so it's associated with death. <laughs> For some people, it's almost death. And, um, and also, it's close to the anniversary of my father's death from many years ago. Also, um, the revered teacher of Buddhism, uh, the Vietnamese uh, monk uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, that's been very important to me in my learning uh, and for so many people around the world, is uh, in the final stages of his life as it is on earth these days uh, in uh, Vietnam at uh, the, the uh, monastery, the practice community uh, that he was in when he was much younger and that he helped to found. A couple of other mentors of mine are facing challenges of aging. Uh, and last but not least, uh, I have my 70th birthday next month. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I have not felt a birthday to be a milestone since I was about 21, real truly. I mean, I've never, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, never felt like a big deal. And somehow 70 just felt like a big deal enough that I'll actually be having a party, which, I, which is rare for me to, to have, actually. But I think uh, it just feels important. And it isn't that I'm uh, suffering terribly from, I mean, I'm doing... Well, but, um, but I'm aware of the chronology and the relentlessness of chronology and the relentlessness of aging and the fact that uh, regardless of how you feel at any given day, any given month, or the pace at which you are undergoing aging challenges, um, you know, you can count on it. Uh, it's, it's inexorable. Uh, and so... I was. I just guess. I guess it's been on my mind lately, aging and uh, and death. Um, so I want to talk about that, and I 
I, I sort of wrote up some notes that I thought I would be speaking from. And then I would say within the last half hour, as sometimes happens, my brain reorganized itself. And so I've got some notes around here, uh, but I'm going to talk more extemporaneously uh, around a certain um, set of uh, topics. And so I want to tell you what those are. So please bear with me if now and then it seems like I'm veering back and forth between my extemporaneous discussion and looking at something in some notes. Um, I'm, I'm intending to have there be sort of four, four parts to this, four, you know, four sequential topics almost, you might say. No, it's really one big topic. One is going to be uh, about just the facts, reality, basically reality, palpable, physical, and mental reality, the facts about getting old and how that causes misery itself, regardless of one's uh, attitude towards it or way of managing it, regardless of whether one is seeking the um, magic elixir that allows you to live forever or doing uh, supplements and vitamins and exercise and uh, et cetera, et cetera, to fight it. Still, just that there is a sort of a factual nature, an actual nature to getting old. And uh, so I want to talk about that, even though there's wide variations from person to person. Um, after that, which would be kind of depressing probably, just thinking about those things, but I want to get them on the table before taking off from them. Uh, I'll have a little, little section uh, where I was thinking about um, uh, <laughs> old age Olympics, a set of uh, practices that you could do uh, to try to uh, deal with old age and to uh, score points. So that'll be a little comic relief section in a not very comical uh, discussion. Third, I'm going to talk about um, the hell of growing old, the facts plus not accepting the facts. So that in addition to the misery of just encountering the facts, encountering reality, there, this will include the facts plus not accepting those facts, which, is, which can really add to misery and turn it into suffering and turn it into sort of, sort of aging hell. Um, I want to talk about that as a prelude to talking about using acceptance, principles of acceptance. And I want to try to both be principle-based as well as some specific ideas for um, coping with the period of aging. So much to talk about. Let me jump in um, next to talking about the uh, fact of aging. It's just, you know, I feel almost like, what is the point of saying this? Doesn't everybody know all of this? But I realized when I started thinking about it, you know, you don't necessarily think, unless you're in the middle of aging and, and aging even beyond where I am, um, about the fact that pretty much aging is pretty much affecting every single thing from uh, everything, every single thing you do from your brain on down to your toes and uh, what your experience is and also what your social experience is and how people regard you. And so I just want to get them, uh, get them out and knowing full well that even though I'm going to run through a number of things that are part of natural aging, um, that, and then there'll be things that are, you know, add misery to that. But these, are, these first ones would be pretty much natural aging. That, um, that, this, I, that whatever list I give you will be, uh, you know, a small percentage of what the reality is. So first of all, let me start with the brain. And, and some of this is my own experience, and some of this is not yet my own experience, but I've worked with a lot of people who have been into their 60s, then 70s, then 80s, and even one person into their 90s, and, uh, and have seen them in various states and have gotten deeply into conversations about coping with all of it, and, uh, as well as having known my parents and, and, a, and a few other people within my extended family. So um, the brain, the brain, obviously some types of memory decline. And I say some types because there's actually research that not all types of memory necessarily declines. In fact, there's even one type of memory that 
in some people who age uh, is a little bit better. Um, but, uh, and I'll tell you what that is, just out of interest. There's a certain thing called crystallized memory. Uh, as, and crystallized memories are basically memories of knowledge and building upon knowledge. So that would be the kind of, knowledge, kind of memory that goes into being good at doing crossword puzzles or other things like that, retaining information and so on. So um, that, uh, that actually, in some people who get older, uh, does, goes, goes better, gets stronger a little bit. And at least it doesn't go down so much like some of the other types of memory do. Um, and by the way, another interesting thing about that, and I think it's, I think a, a, a sub-theme, when we do start to suffer uh, more uh, deterioration in certain ways as we get older, there are ways in which compensations happen uh, that weren't true earlier in life. For instance, the extra power of crystallized memory in some people who are getting older um, looks when you look at functional magnetic resonance imagery, fMRIs in the brain, uh, it looks as if uh, both sides, both hemispheres of the brain are recruited to hold that kind of memory, whereas when you're younger, it's one side of the brain. So it's interesting that the brain all joins together. Brain power goes down for many people. I could document that in a number of ways with people I've known, but the, the sort of feeling of creativity and power and I can do this and I can do that and the speed of the brain, the, the, the sort of speed of processing information and spewing information out um, can go down. Not true for everybody, but that's it for most people. The capacity for coordination drops down. It's just a brain as well as a body um, function. And um, for many, powers of concentration and attention diminish. There's a tendency for a lot of older people to fall asleep midday, which they didn't do when they were younger. There's a drop in hearing for most people and tinnitus coming about for some people. Uh, cataracts form in the eyes and visual acuity can go down. The voice grows weaker for people. Just ask people who are singers who are keep trying to sing like the way the Rolling Stones uh, were just about ready to go on tour until Mick Jagger a few weeks ago was decided that he should have heart surgery for a valve. Um, but, you know, anybody who goes out and tries to do that when they're older, the voice isn't the same. So it's pretty easy to see that in these ways, most brains are, are fading toward the end and that that's a natural process. There are exceptions. I mentioned something about memory, uh, about recruiting the whole brain to do certain thing like that, and I think that's probably not the only such function. Uh, the efficiency of thinking uh, might go up as, as one has learned and, and biologically, you might say, pruned in such a way that you can get more quickly to what you need to get to. That might also be helped by the fact that for many people who get older, emotion regulation gets actually better. It may be one of the reasons why people, for instance, with borderline personality disorder who have bad emotion regulation earlier in life, that actually that's a common thing that emotion regulation gets better, but kind of across the board. <clears throat> and many people, of course, think that wisdom might increase um, when you get older. Um, again, how much of this should I say? It sounds so dreadful <laughs> to just say all of these things, right? You guys, some of you listening could add more. Um, but of course, there's a lot of individual variation and it depends a lot on how people uh, not only are genetically, but live their lives. So not everybody declines at the same pace and some people extend the time at which they're going to decline to be later based on how they're living. Um, but, uh, but things go on. Now, about the body, um, there's just a ton of things, right? And I can taste some of these for myself, too. Aches and pains. You know, I never knew what my parents meant. I never knew what my father meant when he, like so many people, said, uh, you know, that getting old is not for sissies. Uh, arthritis. Seems like every other person I know has... Uh, 
is getting joints replaced, uh, myself included, with one that, a year ago. Um, muscle decline, unless people really work out intensely. Uh, osteoporosis, sort of muscle decline and bone decline and bone thinning uh, that puts you more at risk. Loss of hair, especially in the places where we wish we had hair. Growth of hair in places where we wish we didn't have hair for some people. Thinning of skin. It gets looser. It gets shinier for some people. Um, interrupted sleep. Daytime sleepiness. Back problems. Um, I have a friend who has spinal... His spine has curved at the top. His kyphosis in such a way that, you know, like some people who grow old uh, and their spine curves forward and they hate that because they know that it makes it look like they're older and, and yet they don't have a lot of control over that. Uh, some people shrink in their size, uh, organ failures, hypertension, diabetes. Um, I'm just making the assumption that I've by now about lost about 50% of people who might have started listening to this. Uh, this might not have been such a good idea, but um, of course I could go on and on about it. The fact is our brains go downhill, our bodies go downhill. We are not what we were. And it starts a lot earlier, but we start to really recognize it into our 50s and 60s and 70s with most people. Um, then there's the uh, inevitable associated awareness as we get older, that there's a time horizon toward from between now and the end of life that is shortening. And one becomes aware of that. You know, I was speaking with my accountant a few years ago about something related to people retiring and things like that. And, and he, said, uh, he said pretty much everybody he works with, he can just watch over the years how their equation between what's more important, time or money, uh, happens. And if you have the luxury to be able to make that choice, people start to choose more and more in favor of having more and more time to do other things rather than sort of devoting all of their time to money. Um, it requires uh, letting go of some dreams slowly sometimes. I mean, when I saw my hip surgeon and I asked him, Will I be able to play for the Boston Celtics, my childhood dream, now that I finally get this hip replaced? And uh, this guy who doesn't say very much, um, he looked at me with a slight smile and he said, I think there might be some other variables that uh, would, would affect whether you can play for the Celtics. I told him I had already looked up the website and I was the right age because you have to be over 18. Um, and... Uh, but, you know, obviously, it's hard to let go of some dreams and some intentions from earlier in life and some relationships from earlier in life. And as you get older, you start to realize, no, I have to, I have to realize uh, I'm getting past those. Um, I think people get worried and preoccupied with whether they have enough resources to get to the end of life comfortably or to pass things on to the next generation. And these start to be part of getting older and concerns about death of various kinds as we get closer to it. Um, and then there are all those things that happen on top of what I'm talking about as being not unusual factors of aging. You know, strokes, heart attacks. I mean, one of the people that I know that I've worked with for a long time is, uh, you know, he had a stroke when he was 65. And uh, it's been probably 10 years ago now. And, um, he's been in a amazing survivor from that and has done a lot of stuff with basically one side of his body. Um, but, you know, it, it really, of course, changed the whole course, his whole course. Uh, heart attacks, cancer, diabetes, accidents, and so on. And, uh, and the impacts of medication. People, you get older and you start having more and more medications to keep track of. And then people get demented, of course. A, a certain percentage of people and then um, and disabled and then there's people that have to take care of the people who are demented disabled and they're getting older too sometimes so that becomes part of their life there are losses I mean one of the people that I've worked with a lot you know has had terrible losses after the age of 70 um, and that's not unusual because it's an age when Partners may be dying and, 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 and friends and uh, people you've worked with, associates. Um, and people are losing, you know, 
functions of their body, like bladder control and bowel control even. So all of this is going on. Um, and just one other thing I want to mention that maybe most of you know, but I think it's so common, it seems like, when I talk among people, um, that this gap grows between your inside and your outside as you get older. Like a person might find that he, he or she has an inner self, you might say, that's 35 years old, 40 years old, something like that, uh, you know, stocked with uh, hopes and dreams and images and ideas about what you do and how you do things that are appropriate to that age. But then they wake up in the morning, they look in the mirror, and it reminds them that actually they have a 70-plus-year-old body. So they're kind of like a, a, a younger person saying, oh, my God, how the hell did this happen? Um, and, then, uh, and, and, it's, and it's not easily reversible. So that can, that can feel pretty bad at the time. But it just seems a common phenomenon that our, our, it's funny how our identity doesn't age at the same pace as, uh, as, as our bodies and sometimes our brains. So there you go with a heavy load of those, those kind of facts. But I would also say there's the changes in the social world when you get older. And I've experienced some of these myself. People start to see you as older, um, what, which, which can uh, be kind of shocking, you know. And, um, and people expect less of you in terms of what you, how you can handle things in an airport or getting in and out of cars and being out on the street and um, and, and people take over for you, uh, whether, whether you need it or not. And, uh, and people sometimes dismiss the older person uh, as being sort of uh, no longer a major player in life, when in fact might still be incredibly vital. Um, so, yeah. Let me just look. Now it is one of those moments where I'm going to cross over and look at uh, some notes, because I've just been sort of talking extemporaneously. Another one of the things that's very painful, and I know several people actually in their, all of them in their 70s, 70s to late 70s, uh, who have estrangement of one of their children, a beloved child who um, has uh, refused to maintain contact with the parent. And that's just uh, agonizing uh, thing to deal with. Um, along with some other things, there's always a hope that that's going to turn around, but it's amazing. It goes on and on. And, uh, of course, there's always a story behind that, but uh, it's not always obvious what that story is, even to the person to whom it happens. Um, I just want to say a, a, just a, a note here. Um, when I work with the, my older patients over the years, it's not unusual for one of them to say, and more than one of them has said, something like, you know, I guess I'm complaining a lot. They come in, talk about what's recently going on with their wrists and with their bowels and with uh, their, their head and with uh, something they used to be able to count on in their body or maybe with their sexual function or something. And then they'll at a certain point hear themselves complaining and say, I guess I'm complaining a lot as if they're sort of uh, apologizing for complaining. And then, and, then they, and, and then a couple times people have said, you know, as if there's something maybe to do about this, they're kind of complaining in a way, hoping that I'm going to come up with a strategy to solve it. And sometimes I will work with them on strategies to try to approach some of the things that they're suffering with. And sometimes one can do that other times. Uh, as they then go on to say, I guess maybe this is just the reality of getting older and something that I have to um, do, you know, to be able to accept. So there's a kind of um, awareness that that's going on. Um, all right. Before I talk about the attitudes towards this, let me just tell you, as I was thinking about this, and all of these are are either real to me or real to people that I know. If you create a sort of an old age Olympic uh, tournament where uh, there's a contest, uh, this sort of captures, it's an attempt to actually be a little humorous. I mean, humor is one of those strategies that can help you with getting old. If you have a sense of humor about some of it, uh, that you can either 
hold in your own mind or talk with other people about. So here's some things I thought of, and I'm sure other people might have more. It'd be great if you sent them in to me. I'd love to see them. <laughs> but there could be um, one, one contest might be, you know, that you have to climb into the bathtub and sit down safely. Um, turn on the shower and be prepared for it to hit you in the face or the chest as cold water before you're quick enough to, uh, to catch it and then redirect it and, and get it the right temperature. If you're sitting on a toilet and you want toilet paper, and depending on where the toilet paper dispenser is, uh, it can be a challenge to get toilet paper without causing rotator cuff syndrome to your shoulder. Here's another fun one. You're in the bedroom and you're getting dressed and you put cushions or pillows around the room to make it safe. Then you stand in the middle of the room and you try to put your pants on. Uh, in a way that you always could do your whole life uh, while you're standing there. Um, and you also, uh, it's, 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 you, you get a few points if you can select clothes that match, uh, clothes that are clean, clothes that don't have food on them, and, cl and clothes that are not wrinkled. And if you zip up your zipper. If you're a woman, if you can put a necklace on yourself still with the tiny little clasps, that, that's a big winner. Um, if you can cook things without burning anything. If you can drop your hearing aid on the floor and get down and find it is a good one. Uh, if you can give directions to somebody to get from one place to another using landmarks from 50 years ago. Um, for almost anybody who has old age, um, if you can start a television, that's pretty good. If you can start something to record something on television, that's amazing. You get a lot of points. If you can find Netflix and know how to search for something, that's an amazing thing. And if you can play YouTube. And finally, if you learn how to turn off a computer uh, without doing any damage, all of that is amazing stuff. If you can schedule a dentist appointment when you're not, when you, at a time that you're not scheduled for any other healthcare appointments, that's pretty good. Another one related to the, uh, to the rotator cuff one is to pull an electric plug out of, the, out of an outlet without ever dislocating either your shoulder or your elbow. Another one, if two old people live together, when you get up to pee in the middle of the night, um, to do it without running into another old person uh, in your house who also is getting up to pee and definitely not to pee on the other person. Um, if you can text, that's in itself quite a few points. And if you go to a parking lot, if you can get into the correct car uh, when you come back to the parking lot. And finally, if you can park your car at an angle that's within 30 degrees of where it should be. So just want to say we could, you could have a tournament. I mean, you could have a party with a lot of old people, uh, myself included. Please invite me. And you could play a lot of games like that, and I'm sure you could think of more creative ones. Um, all right. What's the problem with not accepting the facts? You know, what's the problem with being the one that says, I refuse to get older? You know, there's two different versions of I refuse to get older, or two different parts to it. Of course, there's the person who is trying to remain healthy and sort of to stretch out the timeline towards the horizon of getting older, uh, which can, I think, be, you know, increase your quality of life and, and extend your quality of life. So I think that can be a good thing if you're sane about it. But then there's the person who um, refuses to accept that they're getting older, and yet they are. And they try to do things uh, in terms of how they uh, behave, what they say, how they talk about things, how they dress, and so on that, um, that might be really counterproductive, that might just be going too far and could you know, cause uh, more, more trouble for them. Um, and just cause misery because um, something that's just naturally happening, if you keep trying to fight against it, then it's, a, it's the formula. It's actually the, 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 uh, the problem is, as, as it was put in the noble truth of Buddhism, uh, that really the pathway to suffering uh, is where you take the uh, pain of life, which is natural, uh, 
and yet you attach yourself to images and ideas um, that you can't do, like the idea that you don't get old. If you're very attached to that, you suffer a lot. Uh, if you are attached to the idea that you don't get aches and pains, if you're attached to the idea that you don't get any illnesses while this is happening, you don't get any injuries, you don't get any accidents, you don't get any surgeries, that you're just going to live as somebody who doesn't have any of those things. You suffer a lot. Um, if you think you should be the one that has perfect skin or that, has, uh, that doesn't show any changes in weight as you get older, um, you suffer a lot. Um, if you're the one who thinks, you know, that you're going to be still uh, playing along with the 30-year-olds on the basketball court when you're 70, uh, you know, you might be able to be out there and do that some, and it's kind of nice, but it, you also suffer a lot because it, it isn't the same. So there is a kind of a lack of, of gracefulness because you're fighting against it, and it's because you're attached to images and uh, expectations that are not realistic. And so every day, yes, you look at yourself, yes, you are getting old, yes, there's another little spot on your body that shows that you're getting older, you try to get that gone, you try to cover it up, you try to cover up all these things, it's, you try to, ch you know, your body's changing a little bit in shape. So all of these things are, are, are really cause you a higher level of misery rather than a lower level of misery, which of course you might think somebody's trying to do. Um, yeah, and the social outcomes that come from this, um, the attempt to uh, um, to maintain the same position you were in as a young person coming up rather than yielding to the younger people that are coming up. I mean, I experienced this within the DBT world. I think I'm pretty good at what I do, but there's by now I've noticed, you know, and I, w I started doing this with DBT and... Uh, uh, 1988, 1989, so whatever that is, 30 years ago. And there's people coming up that are just brilliant and, and really good at what they do, and I just have to sort of bow to them and say, you know, more power to you, let's do it. But it's hard uh, to uh, step out of being, uh, being somebody who was doing uh, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, what they're doing now, I mean, sort of with a lot of passion and motivation. I still have a lot of passion and motivation, but it's, it's a different place when you start to see that, no, you're, you're the older guy. Um, I wrote a song once that I sang along with Marsha Linehan at a conference. Um, it was to uh, the tune of uh, When I'm 64 by the Beatles. And uh, I wrote a song about When I'm 92. And Marsha and I sang it because I looked around and she and I were the two oldest trainers around doing DBT and it, it's uh, when I get older, losing my hair, will you, da, 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 will you still be coming to my seminars? Da, da, da. So it was an awareness even then, which was several years ago. Yeah, you get, you get older, but, but we, this was, we changed the name of the song to When I'm 92. And then when we sang it, Marsha, took the microphone and sang really loud when I'm 102, uh, as if she could go on that long. Yeah, so there's that. So there's a lot of hell that we cause ourselves as we get older and we fight getting older and we end up driving when we shouldn't be driving and until we run into a tree, like my father-in-law once did. And there's just example after example of things like that and battles that go on, of course, in families because it's time for somebody to give up a certain function, such as driving or other things, and they're just not ready to give it up, and they don't see the wisdom of giving it up. So, um, and, and it becomes a fight until something happens that sort of brings it around to a reasonable outcome. Um, okay, I want to spend now time talking about when aging, um, how acceptance can help. Actually, of course, there are things you can do to change things, and I, I'm just not an expert in that. You know, I think I live pretty well, and I try to do the right things, but I'm no expert in aging and all of the various methods that you can do to slow down aging or attack aging or extend your life and things like that. That's another talk by another person. 
this is sort of when you've done that or you've done all of that that you're going to do, what else can you do other than just sort of like be a little miserable? And I think there's a heck of a lot you can do. And I think it all, almost all comes under the realm of, uh, of acceptance. And actually, I think if you do accept some things about aging, you probably get in a better position to actually change some things. So let me talk about it. And I'm going to talk about it from a certain framework. And those of you who know my work, for instance, my book on DBT principles, um, I do write a chapter on the acceptance principles. And in the beginning of these podcasts, maybe like 48 podcasts ago, uh, I, I think I spent some time on some podcasts talking about principles of acceptance, as well as principles of change and principles of dialectics. So let me talk now about though, there were five principles. And I, wanted, I want to apply them to the, being in the situation of aging and having the difficulties of aging. So let's start with the first one. The first principle would be just the emphasis on that there really only is one moment that's real. And that is this moment. That is this exact present moment, the here and the now, as the Buddhist teachers are always saying. Um, and, you know, because the past, you know, up until today, the past is gone. And the future is an imagination um, until the future, little by little, becomes the present moment. And then it isn't the future anymore. So really, the only thing that there really is that you can count on, that you can see that really is true, the only thing that isn't fake news is the present moment, right now. So at whatever age, in whatever location, in whatever states of mind or body that we're in, we can actually bring our attention to this one and only moment. We can bring it back from the past, back from the future, and we can bring it into this moment and observe what is there through our five senses and in our internal body awareness. And from the point of view of the here and the now, we're not, you know, like I am 69 years old, we're not attached to any particular age group. We're not mentally attached to being a different age or in a different place, or in a different body. We're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're not comparing ourselves to ourselves as a younger person. And we're not filling our mind with an imagined future that's unrealistic or with an imagined future of demise and death. We are just experiencing this moment as this moment. We are just here. It is just now. And we see, hear, feel, taste, and smell what's going on right now. Now, maybe the body's older and not functioning as well as it did before, but we have the capacity, a still very full and fresh capacity, to observe through these senses, through our bodies, this moment, to see the colors around us, to open our eyes and see the forms around us, the outside, the beauty of the trees and the flowers coming up in the spring, to be on the street and see children be wheeling by in uh, strollers and see them smiling, to hear the sounds that are coming into our brains, including sounds of music and wind, traffic. And this is what I mean by being in the present moment. It just means that's where we are. And we can do that. We can do that. We can smell the aromas that are coming into us. You know, we can smell coffee in the morning somewhere. We can touch soft and pleasing fabrics and feel our head on a pillow. We can feel the air moving across our skin and we can taste, uh, you know, a thousand different tastes. So there's all this and it's kind of a miracle. We can be in any one moment, any space, any body and mind state and just notice. It's... God, I sound just so stupid trying to get this across because I keep saying the same thing. But I have a feeling, I think it's just been so hard for me to get this over so many years that I think I have it more than I ever did. And, um, and so I'm trying to encourage you to just, like if you don't get this, really realize this is possible. This is attainable. This is something right in front of you. And you can be very miserable if you sit and think about how you're aging or the aches and pains or this and that. But if you can think, 
if you can notice, if you can observe. Um, it's just the route, it's the road to a moment that is not filled with the extra suffering that we put on ourselves. You know, our pain might grab us. Our sorrow over losses that we've had might invade our minds. And comparisons with what we once were, what we wish we were, will cross our minds. And anxieties about what's coming next will come up. It's all true. It's all real. It's the nat- and it's the nature of our minds to be wandering back and forth between the past and the future and these kinds of things and these concerns. But we can, we truly can almost instantaneously bring our minds and our attention to what is real right now. And the capacity to observe is not a disabled function. You know, unless we lose consciousness, in which case it probably is, but I'm not even sure it is then. I'm not going to go into examples of why I would even say that, but I mean mean that seriously. So principle number one, and it's a huge advantage. I use it. I definitely use it repeatedly during the day, and not by sitting and meditating, but by walking down the street and stopping and noticing someone else, noticing something happening. And these are just golden moments that we can put put into our days. Second principle, non-attachment. You know, the core of acceptance, the core, core, core of acceptance is uh, of what it, it is. It includes letting go of attachment to what we wish were true. We wish we were young. We wish we were strong. We wish we were healthy. We wish we were connected. We still wish we were a player in the world in certain ways that maybe we aren't as much anymore. We wish we were close with family and friends when some things may have broken down. Maybe we wish we were pursuing our passions and and maybe we were attached to the idea that we're not sick and declining when in fact we are sick and we are declining in different ways. We get attached to those ideas. I'm attached for the instance, for instance, to that image still of myself as a young running, playing playing basketball, a guy playing basketball, a guy going to school, which I used to like and having a long life to look forward to. I walk on a college campus on a regular basis in the town I live in. And when I do and I see the, the students there, I think, oh, it's me and the other students. And I, I, not that I get psychotic and think that for sure, but I just think it, it reawakens in me that feeling. I want to go back to school and choose some courses and realize, you know, I'm, I might, I still could. There's still possibilities for that, but not in the same way. Um, but to enter into the present moment the way I was just talking about again and again also goes hand in hand with letting go again and again of those attachments to those images, to those memories, to those feelings, to those expectations. Not, not that you have to not enjoy calling up those kind of memories and images. You, you can do that. But being attached to fulfilling them when in fact it's unrealistic that, that, that you really need to let go of that to be in the present moment in reality. Um, yeah. Let's see if I want to tell you anything else. I do think that, you know, non-attachment is such a huge factor in coping with aging. It's just so huge. It's one of the first things the Buddha talked about is that people, you know, it means acceptance, meditating on acceptance of life as it is with sickness, with loss, with aging, with lots of things like that. So, you know, it's still, it's absolutely still totally relevant. Third principle, and all of these interweave with each other. The principle of impermanence. Now, of course, if we settle into a, into a, a kind of a, an accurate perspective about reality, let's say, uh, and we really see what's going on, um, then we will notice, if we pay attention, that nothing whatsoever remains the same. No emotion stays, no state of mind stays, 
no physical capacities stay the same, no ailments. I, as a psychopharmacologist myself, you know, even when people do better on a certain medication, I can assume there's a good chance that's not going to stay the same and it might fade and then it might be better again. And it might, if you tried it at a different time, it might work because there's so much that's changing all the time that we, we, we think in a way as if sort of systems are permanent or relatively permanent when they absolutely are not. They're just constantly teeming with change. You know, there's no physical capacities, no ailments, no relationship that remains as they are. Everything changes and it happens how frequently? Every second. It's a mind-boggling truth, really. It is. If you really try to take, extrapolate what I'm saying and think, oh my God, look around yourself right now. Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're seeing. Look at what you're counting on in your life. Think of where, who you're meeting later or what are you doing. And guess what? It's all changing. The wall around you is changing. Your bone structure is changing depending on how you sit how you stand, how you walk. Life is in motion all the time. And as we get old, some of the changes that have happened silently, like under the radar, you might say, become apparent. It isn't like they weren't already going on, but things become apparent. So like, oh my God, look what's happened. And we, we do, you know, um, we, we actually do get uh, these things changing. We, we do decline, do get these declines, though sometimes we also get increases in function for a period of time. Um, cells change. Uh, we move around less in most cases, though, though some people discipline themselves. But we, and, and in a way, if you just add up everything that's going on as we get older and the pace at which things are changing, and the pace at which we recover from things which is slower than before, the pace at which we uh, can think and, and all of this, you know, we're going down an inclined plane toward death. We just are. It's just a fact. It isn't even a tragedy unless we think of it as a tragedy. We'll get to that. Um, you know, as we know, even, even though I said the capacity to observe remains, and it mostly does, and sometimes it even gets keener when you get older, um, that it will also disappear at a certain point, and especially when we lose consciousness. Um, but mostly it's with us to the end. I mean, the people that I've worked with that are pretty old, and are really suffering from a lot of the uh, infirmities of old age, they still can absolutely observe. They can see the face of another person. They can hear music. I had a girlfriend in high school. Her, her father, who was a rather older father, I mean, he was 50 years older than her, and he was showing signs of getting old at a pretty young old age. But he was pretty infirm, and I would come to their house sometimes in the evening, and he would, after dinner, sit and in his favorite chair, and he would put on his favorite classical music, and he'd listen to it, and he would close his eyes, and he would uh, look like he was conducting the music. And, and he would have a smile on his face that said, I am quite happy right now. Uh, and he had a lot of that. And... Uh, you know, so, so people who said there is this capacity to observe that helps you accept the rest of it. Okay. Next principle. Remember the, so the first ones were being in the present moment, letting go of attachments, and recognizing that life is impermanent, transient, everything is always changing, that these three things kind of go together. Then there's another one. Interbeing. Now, one of the fears of dying is the fear of isolation, typically, of being alone at death, of leaving the known world, not knowing where you're going, um, being alone there, wherever that is, while others go on without us, or for some, the horror of abandoning those 
who love us or depend on us is very painful. It's hard to imagine these things without a lot of pain and disappointment, with a lot of fear, a lot of hurt. And as I said already, one remedy is to inhabit the present moment. Just be here with all of our attention as much as possible entirely. Uh, whether that be the, uh, you know, whether, we, whether that's we're a, we're a child and we're inhabiting the present moment and just seeing what's real, or at age 8 or age 20 or age 30 or 40 or 50, or where, whether it be our last moment of our life, it's always a possibility. It sort of a, is one thing that does stay uh, and strings together all these observations of our life is the capacity that we were observing. And the observer, for all we know, might be more or less a similar person. But the perspective in, of interbeing adds another layer to this. It requires a departure, though. This is even a harder departure than, than uh, the departure required when you think how impermanent things are. This is a departure from typical conventional thinking. Um, and, but I find it incredibly helpful. I think you'll hear why. Um, such as the thinking of I am me. This is conventional. I am me. You are you. We are separate. Uh, we are each self-made individuals and we relate to each other and there's a firm boundary between us. At the time of birth, we came into being from, you know, nothingness and at death, we cross over again into nothingness and it's over. It's kind of like there's a whole arc uh, from beginning to end uh, that sort of runs with it from, from nothing to a life to a living of a life to the ending of a life and then it's nothing again. Um, but the perspective of interbeing on reality is different. It's that however we may think and feel in this conventional sense, all phenomena are deeply interdependent on all others. There is no boundary in this deep version of reality, which some Buddhist teachers will call ultimate reality, but they'll consider it a deep form of reality. And there is no separateness. There's no me as a separate self. And this has implications for aging and the things we're afraid of. I am a self that is interdependent with the selves around me, on the selves that preceded me, selves that are not, quote unquote, alive anymore, selves that follow me, selves that haven't come into being yet. I mean, it, it's sort of like we're deeply interwoven. And if you had a picture of it, we wouldn't look so separate. Um, and it cannot be the case that when I came alive, I came from nothing. You know, I was the product of people, of activity, of passion, of matter, of energy, of things existing at the, times, uh, the time I came together as a human being the way I am, so, of, of society at a certain time. And all these things conspired in such a way that I came into being. Just think about that. It sounds, you know, this, this can be easily dismissed as trite. Uh, or you can say, oh, my God. That's true. There was continuation from all these ingredients, elements, influences that were there before, and they came together and produced the miracle of me coming together as, a, as, as an egg and then a, a fertilized egg and then a, an embryo and then a fetus and then a newborn and then growing up. It's sort of like it was, there was always continuity and always moving forward and always transforming and there's not, not so clear that there was sort of pre-life and then life. Um, so I, 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 I transformed, as all of us did, from all those pre-existing entities into myself and then grew, and then grew a psychological self, an awareness of things. You know, and, uh, it, it, and, and, and it was a synergy of all these things that came before and at the time of death you can have a parallel way of understanding it, is that I will not go into nothingness. I will not go be trapped and isolated in a tomb and put away, and that's it. That's the end of it. The end of me, there's sort of birth, and then there's death, and then it's over. It just won't be that way. 
it will not be an end of me, but, but realize you have to sort of, mm, you, have to, you have to deepen your consciousness to think about this because I will continue on. How am I going to continue on? Let's say I, my, I meet my demise and I'm, I'm no longer functioning as a human being on earth, but I will continue on genuinely, not as a fiction of my imagination, not as a metaphor, but I will continue on in those who know me, those who have known me, those who I have touched, um, things I have seen, places I have been, people I have interacted with, scenes I have interacted with. My trace will be in so many entities and will continue on. And it is part of who I am right now. My body, my corporeal body, myself that way, is only one entity of the larger picture of who I am and where I came from. My actual self is by now interdependently uh, present here and there, far and wide, and will continue forever. And this is true of all of us in our own different ways. This interbeing perspective, which I have truly by now accepted in a, in beyond what I had in the past, helps a lot to reduce this sense of separateness, of isolation, and of the finality of death. Sort of my equivalent of my mother's Christianity, I guess, where she just thought she will be taken into God's fold and she will be connected to other people that she has known and family members who have passed away and others will be coming there. And it created this kind of sense of, of peace in her that made the end of her life, it was possible, even with a lot of aches and pains and disability. She was, I just have the image of her sitting on her bed in this um, semi-assisted living facility, um, knitting scarves. She had always knit when I was growing up. She's knitting scarves for the homeless people in Portland, Oregon. And she was, you know, uh, interacting with some of the other people in the facility there. She had learned something about the computer and she could do emails with her children and grandchildren. And so she was continuing on and she was going to continue on. And she didn't have this horrible sense of this black sense of, oh no, I'm about ready to become separated from what I've always been and isolated. I mean, and I feel more of that now too, but I haven't been able to rely on the usual uh, patterns of Christianity to help me with that. I just didn't, I didn't continue with that after I was a younger person. Um, but it does help to not think of the arc of our lives as having a beginning from nothing, then running a whole course, then fading, and then we die into nothingness again. You know, that is a typical conventional perspective in which people are, are separate, boundaries are thick, and life goes into nothing at the end. But if you really think of interbeing, you can experience yourself vitally as interdependent, as interwoven with other experiences and people in life. And, and, and it can help you with your suffering. It can help you with your misery. It can help you with your aches and pains. It can help you with your awareness of your decline. Because you're declining, but you're still continuing. And you're declining. And in some ways, who knows, you might even be becoming stronger in ways other than the way your body is going. Um, so I realize some people will hear this and think, well, maybe this is interesting and others might hear it and think, this is just a crock. But, you know, to me, it's, 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 I think it's a helpful way to move into uh, an older age. Um, finally, I'll just say, because I just have a minute, that the last of the five principles, that I call it perfect as it is, um, which, is which is this, uh, because it can help correct the feeling at the end of life that things are not right. Uh, that we haven't lived the life we wanted to live, that we aren't the way we should be, that we should be aging better than we are. Our family interactions should be a lot better than they are. Our accomplishments should have been better than they were. And all of this kind of stuff that can be quite tormenting to feel late in life and towards death that you're moving toward an end point where things aren't right. But the perspective that grows out of the principles of acceptance is uh, and letting go of attachment 
uh, and letting go of these images of how things should be is that actually a perception that accepts that everything is exactly as it should be given everything that has come before, that this is how it has to be. So look into the present moment. You always find a home in the here and the now. You can always go back there. Um, so I think that's about it. Um, there's so much more to say, and I'd be glad to hear input from anybody. It's such a huge topic, and other people know so much more than I do about this topic. But uh, I just wanted to, to, to go over it now for lots of reasons and uh, remind you all, if you're listening still, uh, about the, my first Zoom session next Thursday at 6. Send me any questions you want me to address during that. Uh, you can also type in questions in the Zoom format uh, while I'm talking, and then I can get those and respond to those, and we can even have a, a verbal dialogue if that's what works best in that situation. So we'll experiment with it to see the best way to use this format. But I'm going to do this every few weeks as another question and answer session that will start with me making some comments. Okay. Hey, I hope you all have a really good week and um, enjoy the coming of spring, unless you're in some part of the world where you're not getting spring soon, but most parts that are listening probably are. All right, everybody. Take care. Goodbye.